Kyle Thomas of Exhorter. Welcome to Talking the Talk, man. Good morning, Don. How you doing? I'm doing great, dude. At, at 10 a.m. over there in New Orleans, man. It's like, you know, that's not really a rock star time to be up, dude. Well, I've spent most of my life living in the past, so uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that you can give me some kind of insight on what the future looks like. Man, I'm telling you. Well, you know, it's it's funny because... I know over the years you've been, you've done a lot of press and you've been asked a lot of the same shit, you know. And so, you know, this is going to be more of a conversive thing, you know. You know, basically, like I said, I'm I'm a New Orleans guy, you know. I grew up in New Orleans, and but being a younger guy, then you know, you know, sometimes too young to actually even really immerse myself in some of the scene, you know. I, I would I will have some questions for you about some of the past, but it's not necessarily going to be your past, if that makes sense, you know, because. I feel like you've probably been asked so many questions about that, you know? Ah, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it, it kind of comes with the territory. It's, it's, you know, people, people want to know what happened. They want to hear the juicy stories and, you know, they, we've got some <laughs> for sure, <laughs> but, uh, you know, a, a lot of it's pretty boring too. I'm a pretty, uh, pretty regular guy aside from, uh, all of the all slaughter in the Vatican stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, like, what's a question you get asked so much that, like, if someone asked it to you again, you'd just want to kick something? Um, basically, uh, <laughs> you know, there are certain entities uh, throughout history that uh, that took a lot of influence off of Exhorter bands. Uh, more than one band, you know, have 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 gone on to bigger and better things mm -hmm. than Exhorter ever achieved. And, you know, it's it's flattering, of course, to hear that, you know, we were somewhat uh, pioneers of our style and, you know, even been credited with even starting the style. Mm -hmm. I don't know so much about that, but that tends to be something that okay you know next question yes i'm the poorest <laughs> the poorest famous person you'll ever meet next <laughs> yeah it's like how many times can you you know you, you tackle the same subject it's like you know just just read some old interviews man you'll get that answer you know what I mean? exactly so. they're there just google it well so what are you doing to uh keep yourself sane and all this uh shelter in place stuff that's going on right now i'll be honest with you it's kind of just another perfect day for me I, <laughs> when i'm not on tour uh i i tend to be a homebody I, i'm usually home uh if i'm not working on music i'm you know cooking and cleaning and you know just kind of being the the mad a housewife of the, of the family, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I prefer the term domestic god, you know, because that's kind of how I roll, you know. It's like, you know, uh, I, I, loved, I love my gig, dude. I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. You know? Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I spent 23 years uh, between 1996 and, and 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I did some music in between here and there. Uh, put out a few albums, did a few tours, but for the most part, I was crawling through attics, pulling cable, installing conduit, uh, fire alarm systems, burglar alarm systems, um, backbone cabling for uh, voice data video. I, I, I did this. Any low voltage cable, I, mm -hmm. I pulled it, I installed it, tested it, and I did that for many, many years. So for me now to not have to do that anymore, it, it's 
It's very, very liberating. <laughs> and uh, I, it really was just kind of a plan B that came into my life when I was playing in the uh, the band that I had called Floodgate. Mm-hmm. And uh, next thing you know, plan B became plan A and vice versa. And I ended up with a house full of kids. And, uh, you know, now they're they're grown and uh, not even necessarily much less needing me around uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or wanting me around. <laughs> so, so I get the liberty of, of going out. Uh, they're, they, they love what I do. It's, it's really cool. They're, they're very supportive. That's hilarious. It's like it's like now you're like, you know, the annoying dad, and you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because they, uh, you know, they always knew what I did, mm-hmm. but um, I just in the past year, uh, a couple of them got to see me perform for the first time with Exhorter. Oh, that's and, awesome. And they've seen me play locally with cover bands and stuff, and mm-hmm. that's not the same thing. It's really not. So to, for them to see me on a big stage mm-hmm. like that was really kind of eye-opening for them. Like, oh, wow, like he's really for real. <laughs> like, Dad's got some cred, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I have to say, dude, I'm, I've been awfully slow and late to the party on a lot of fucking records and stuff, and... Uh, more in the Southern Skies kind of came in just at the end of the year for me, and I didn't really get to grasp onto it, man. But I have been listening to that album for probably about two weeks straight right now, and that album is just fucking magic in a bottle. It's like lightning in a bottle for you guys. That was just such a great record. Like you well, guys, thank you for that. I mean, it's like you guys came storming out of the gates, and like I felt like you guys were giving bands like maybe even more than half your age like a serious run for their money. Like, was that kind of the plan coming out of? Uh, I wouldn't say it was the plan. It's it's just the, I would say it's the culture of this band. That's, mm-hmm. that's we've always been a band, especially with the live show. That right. people who have either never seen it before, maybe not even necessarily interested in that style of music, come to the show and see it and, and leave having had an experience not just having witnessed some, you know, band uh, opening for a band they came to see or, you know, someone that they're, uh, this guy they started dating just dragged them out to. Uh, we, we've we've always kind of been that band mm-hmm. where uh, we'd like to, of course, we get lumped into, you know, thrash metal, mm-hmm. you know, this and that, but we really never have felt comfortable with being labeled under one genre with with one tag it's it's not fair to the band it's not fair to the music that we've been kind of a a crossover of many different styles mm-hmm. over the years and 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 the attitude because of the fact that we came up first in the punk rock scene the attitude was always more akin to that mm-hmm. than metal so uh uh, I had a lady tell me uh, she was almost in tears when we played a show in Orlando, Florida this year, opening for Overkill, and she's just like, "I, I don't listen to this kind of music." My, my boyfriend brought brought me out here, and uh, she said, I, "I don't know what it is, but uh, it, you, the music spoke to me. I could hear the messages in your words. You know, it was it was audible, which is odd for this style of music." And right, I, right. I, you know, to me at that point, it's bigger than me. It, it's it has less to do with me than it has to do with the whole picture. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, in my opinion, I always think that a truly great band, their songs are actually bigger than the people that are actually making the music. Without a doubt. And it's, it's easy to lose sight of that at times. I'm sure I have uh, from time to time. But mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, that's you write songs, you record them, and you release them, and they no longer belong to you. They belong to everyone. And right. people take ownership of it. And it, in a very, very defensive way, I can promise you, sometimes people... Uh, uh, resent you for things that are different for for changes that they weren't necessarily expecting as right. for instance more in the southern skies is stylistically quite different from uh, our first two albums right. uh, but but we felt like it was genuine and from the heart so you know th- we feel like the greatest bands in the world record very different sounding albums therefore you don't have uh, a stale product that comes out uh the the trick to that is making sure that you that that it comes across as genuine Mm -hmm. and that's what we felt we did we felt we we gave an evolutionary genuine product uh from the heart and you know if 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 people that are fans of this band are unhappy with this product, the good news is you've got two old ones that you can always listen to that will never let you down. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I think you nailed something right there when you were talking about it being evolutionary. I mean, because one of the things I loved about the albums, like, you know, I remember when Slaughter and Vatican came out, you know, it's like I said, I was freshman in high school Um you know, it, it came out just as I was about to move from uh, New Orleans to Atlanta. And going back and listening to that album now in comparison to, you know, More in the Southern Skies, one of the things I love about that is that it's exactly what you said. It's a, it's a transitionary album. But when you play them back to back with, like, say, you know, you go from, you know, Slaughter to The Law to, you know, More, it sounds like. It's classically familiar, but at the same time, it's exhorter in you know 2019. So to repeat what you've already done to me, that's what stops band, me from being interested in bands is when they've done the same album five, six, that's, seven times. You know, I, I concur. It, it's frustrating to me when I read uh, someone of the opinion that you know, I, I you know I don't like that new modern sounding production that everything sounds too uh too clear and too loud you know i wish they had those old buzzsaw guitars and we're like god we hated those productions you know it's like you know and and that was no that's no knock against the the engineers and producers that we were working with because god knows they worked as hard as they could to help it sound as good as we could finally get it Mm -hmm. but we had so really small budgets we were inexperienced we just didn't know how to make a great sounding record especially on a shoestring budget so you know, fast forward to today where we've learned a whole, whole lot between then and now. Uh, and if we haven't, shame on us. Uh, so we, we we also knew we came into this knowing mo- more more of what we didn't want to do mm-hmm. than knowing what we wanted to do. So we got in there with an idea uh, of a direction to not go in and, and took it from there. Well, I mean, there's so much new 
you know, technology and whatnot at our disposal now at this age that we're in. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously my band was nowhere near the status or even talent of X Order, but like I remember when my metal band in like 92 was recording our first demo and it was a four track that had two tracks broken and we had a microphone hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's that's like, it. And it's I, like, I recorded demos that way too. I understand. <clears throat> and it's funny because, you know, kind of like what you said i feel like the people that complain about like oh my god the album sounds too good are generally the same ones that go oh man i wish slaughter in the vatican sounded better <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you can't, you can't win I'm, sometimes you just can't win can you i mean it's it's never going to be good enough uh and and, and again I, I think people get possessive of the bands that they admire and the music that they write and it becomes kind of a territorial thing when uh i mean i i, I sing for trouble also and mm-hmm. i'm not the original singer so i have to deal with a lot of people that oh well it's just not the same without eric well i'm not eric i'll never be eric right uh, you know but i'm a fan of eric and I, I love trouble so i tell you what you come you know you don't want to listen to the songs that i recorded fine you come see us play live and you walk away from that telling me that you think I didn't do a good job or pull my heart into it, then I don't know what else to tell you. You know? Well, I'm yeah, a, because I'm a fan. I'm a fan and I care. Exactly. It's funny because I was talking to, uh, I've talked to him a few times, uh, Lawrence Gowan from Sticks. And, you know, of course, he came in and replaced Dennis DeYoung, and he was telling me, he's a, he said, I've been the new guy for over 20 years, you know, and I'm still dealing with the whole, like, you know, yeah. he doesn't do it as good as that. And he's like, look, I've been in the band 20 years. If you don't like it, sorry, don't come to the shows, you know? That's just it. You know, go put on the old albums, and and they'll, they'll never let you down, like I said. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, I like I said, I grew up in New Orleans, I grew up in Metairie, and I remember the scene just being you know, looking back on it now, it was such a diverse scene. Like, I don't ever remember there being many tags on it, on, on music. Like to me, it was like, I just remember it all being metal, you know, like you had Lillian Axe, you had, you know, Dark August, Victorian Blitz, you know, you guys, Shell Shock, you know, bands like that, you know what I mean? And I feel like that it, it, it didn't always have like a tag, but Exhorter and some of those bands started to do something really different. So, like, where did that influence come from that was kind of setting you guys aside from, say, like the other New Orleans bands who are kind of more in the melodic hard rock type of spectrum? Uh, I, I think we all, when we put this thing together back in 86, uh, you know, there was only one guy even in his 20s at that time. So we were all kids i was the youngest i had just turned 16 so literally writing some (laughs) we were writing what is now considered some classic metal songs (laughs) i was a kid we were writing them and and i'm literally like braces and you know had just gotten my driver's license so uh, it was a you know an exciting time in life it was uh absolutely just kind of like you said before the lightning in a bottle thing Mm -hmm. we we wrote songs we wanted to hear we were we couldn't get enough of anything that sounded different from what we had been raised on you know like Mm -hmm. believe me i i came from uh the earliest musical things that i latched onto were like kiss queen Mm -hmm. led zeppelin deep purple 
and then kind of graduated into ACDC and Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, I I also was raised on the radio, so I, I, I do and still do love, you know, my earliest influences like the Beatles up on through, you know, funk and soul, all kind of stuff. But I, I always kind of gravitated towards the heaviest thing that I could get my hands on, which eventually became Metallica Slayer. Uh, you know, then it was uh, Exodus and Megadeth. And then punk rock, uh, which I, I at first I was trying to avoid liking. Right. <laughs> Probably because my brother loved it. But, uh, <laughs> eventually I, I couldn't deny what it what it what it was doing to me when I could hear it, you know, and it was really the crossover bands like, uh, early COC and DRI, mm-hmm. uh, charge GBH and agnostic front, these bands that had metal elements, but were more punk. Mm-hmm. And, and then I realized, well, hell I'm listening to metal bands that are, you know, uh, you know, just had that punk edge like Metallic and Slayer. I was like, holy crap. It was a friend of mine at school told me, he said, I told him I didn't like punk. And he said, Kyle, Metallic and Slayer are punk bands. Mm-hmm. And I got really mad at him. And I wanted, he's my friend and I wanted to fight him. I'm like, you don't call them, they're metal, you know? And then I, you know, <laughs> it, it finally clicked on me after listening to Animosity by COC side by side with, uh, you know, that, the, like the Am I Evil, uh, uh, creeping death ep by metallica with, right you know you listen to those back to back and it's like it's almost the same thing just slightly different language mm-hmm. so yeah we we just we had all of these things coming in uh and, and we just couldn't get it up we were grabbing it up celtic frost uh destruction and uh you know dead kennedys and uh fear and, and all this stuff and we just we listened to all of it and uh, when we were first starting to put uh, a live show together, the we all kind of, except for one guy, except for Chris Nail, we all mm-hmm. came from the metal world. And so we were using our resources to try to get a gig. And people were like, well, we can't book you guys. What are we going to do with y'all? Y'all look like crap. The girls aren't going to want to come. And, you know, <laughs> the, uh, it's just, it's insane. I, what do we do with this? It's too fast. And we were like, well, what do we do? And then some of our punk rock friends were like, just come and play a show with us. We, you know, we, we'll let y'all play. We don't give a shit. And mm-hmm. it, that first show we did was magical. Everybody was just standing there like, what the fuck did we just watch? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the, I mean, I mean, to me, that is when, you know, you're doing something right is when you've produced something and, and then you, you know, put it out to a crowd and they don't know what the fuck to do with it. Like to me, I, I know it's frustrating to a lot of bands at the time, but I always thought that like one of the most like complimentary things a band can hear is we don't know where to put you, you know, <laughs> cause it means you're doing something completely different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, uh, we did a couple of shows after that opening for, I think maybe shell shock, maybe graveyard rodeo. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then next thing we knew was like, there was we were selling so much merchandise at these shows and and there was such a strong contingency of people there to see us it was like well man let's start headlining and that's mm-hmm. what we did and we never looked back it was like after that it was and, and we our crowd was kind of like uh 
the island of misfit toys from the that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas episode. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like they, the, the people that didn't fit in anywhere in in the world. If it wasn't if it was at, you didn't, didn't fit in at home, didn't fit in at school, didn't fit in with the punk rockers, didn't fit in with the metalheads, didn't matter. They 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 gravitated towards us cuz that's what we were. We were just a bunch of screw-ups. And they were like, well, you know, let's look what they're doing. Let's go hang out with them. And and we always kind of made it a more like a hangout mm-hmm. than a big presentation. We we never hung out in the green room. We hung out in the crowd. It was right. It was like, oh shoot, we got to go get this you know pain in the ass show out of the way so we can get back to drinking with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because like I said, like I do remember you know going to shows at like St. Christopher CYO. You know, with like you know doing the whole you know. You know, Razor White, Lillian Axe, and they always kind of had this, you know, as much as I love this band, they were always very, like, it's like they put on, like, it's like they looked huge, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, they had the yeah, stage, yeah. the drums, the hair, everything, and then, yet, at the same time, you had, you know, Exhorter, Victorian Blitz, Shellshock playing at the VFW, like, around the corner from my house, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it's like, yeah. I I loved that that at, at at some point there started to be some sort of separation but with that was there a lot of uh, was there still a camaraderie that kind of spread through you know that kind of broke through the genres or was it pretty much compartmentalized and everyone just kind of stayed away from each other in the beginning it was it was tough to get people to do the crossover like mm-hmm. like i told you for me it was uh kind of a uh a thing that happened over time and i think for the majority of people it was the same way you had a handful of people that would go to both shows and some people that just would never go to either or and you know not even so much as not be interested in it but you know poke fun at it from from the sidelines mm-hmm. or, or just flat out hate it and want it to go away and i you know i i had come i had come from the metal side so i never really wanted anything bad to happen to the metal scene i just mm-hmm. I, I was more or less disappointed that that it took a long time for it to embrace me mm-hmm. since since i came from it but uh you know there were guys in the band that that totally you know thumbed their nose at the metal genre for a long time even though mm-hmm. they came from it they were like you know to hell with this i'm i'm, I'm out of here and and uh and and then there were a lot of the the punk rock purists that never would embrace us because we were so metal. Mm-hmm. So it, it was tough. It, it's kind of a slippery slope to to be uh, uh, able to to please both sides. At the same time, you can't please everybody. So you know, the metal purists, we were never metal enough, and the punk purists, we weren't punk enough. But it, I, that barrier broke down a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it ver- relatively quickly, uh, I noticed then a lot of the metal bands started emulating. Uh, I'm not going to say that they were necessarily copying us, mm-hmm. but, but it, you know, all of the bands that played in the circuit that we were playing, they, the, a lot of the metal bands started, uh, you know, maybe losing the spandex and the teased hair and going with a little bit more of a street look. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, yeah, man, come on, you know, that's great. And then there were people in our scene that were like, look at them, they, you know, they they went from being posers to, you know, and now they're posing to look like us. And I'm like, they're just trying to 
they're just trying to find themselves they're trying to be comfortable it doesn't matter <laughs> and that's such a that's such a great attitude to have and to me that's where i connect with you on this is because you know i was that kid growing up that I didn't really fit in with the, you know, metal or die crowd, but I also didn't fit in with the, you know, I was, uh, dude, I'm ugly as fucking sin, man. So I definitely didn't fit in with like the girls and that, that thing. So like, you know, I had this like little, kind of like you said, this little island of like four other misfits where, you know, we weren't afraid to say that we loved extreme and that we thought some winger songs were cool. But at the same time, like we loved Slayer and we loved Megadeth and we loved Anthrax, but we also liked the Almond Brothers. You know what I mean? And oh, so, sure. and, and, and it's funny because back then when, when I couldn't get enough of hardcore style music, it, it became, I, I became obsessed with it. It was all I wanted to hear. I abandoned my early metal roots and kind of even looked down upon it for a little while. Uh, and, and, and then I, as I got older, especially now, I like people try to turn me on to more modern metal and it's really difficult for me to, you know, I'm not like, I'm not some elitist that won't have it. I just, I don't listen to it anymore at home you know, like I, on occasion i do like the other day i was out here on my porch and i was kind of just shuffling my whole pandora and i've got a lot of stuff in there i mean it, i might have the four seasons go into slayer followed by michael jackson followed by uh the best of bread so you just don't know what's gonna pop up when you get to my house and it, it's usually gonna be much different from metal I, i'm a music a music fan i started listening to a wide wide spectrum of music that my sisters and my my mother helped bring me up on and and then i started playing trumpet at eight nine years old and mm-hmm. so i i was a classically trained musician i i took lessons on the guitar and bass in addition to the trumpet i spent three years uh, being a classically trained singer in the school chorus, uh, after a while, you realize that there's more to life than, you know, Too Fast for Love by Motley Crue. It's just, there's, there's much more there. I, you know, and it's so funny because I always, I always hate to say this as, you know, I, I don't know, I feel like some people say that I use it as an anchor sometimes, but I totally believe that coming from New Orleans, is kind of a special place because we're taught early on about music culture more so than just about any place I feel like you can live in the country. Like I remember my parents listening to, you know, the Neville brothers and Irma Thomas, you know, but at the same time, you know, my dad would pop on, you know, Inagata DeVita, you know, and sticks sure. and stuff. So it's like, you know, just the variety of music that we grew up with, I feel like you know, at a certain point in your youth, you're like, fuck all that, man. Fuck you know, anything that's not heavy. And now in my exactly. 40s, like like in my 40s, I'm listening to, you know, you know, more in the southern skies. But then all of a sudden I'll go back to, you know, the Neville's live at Tipitina's or, you know, you know, Tony Joe White, you know. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I mean, how, how lame and miserable would it be if all you listened to? was metal i mean sorry i love metal but like i couldn't just listen to that you know no especially not if you spent enough of your formative years here if you've gone to 
if you lived in Metairie, you walked to the Metairie parade route more than likely. And <laughs> yeah, sure did. And saw, saw bands playing on the floats, the marching bands. And that it, it just gets in your it gets in your blood it gets in your soul you know you like you were saying the nevels the meters and you know dr john, dr. john. before all that you've got the hawkettes mm-hmm. alan tucson fats domino lloyd price to just the list goes on and on you could i could sit here and just rattle off bands musicians artists from here that have changed the landscape of music you know, and you know, if, if we if Exhorter had a hand in changing the landscape of music, I'm flattered. You know, I, I'm not that impressed because, like I said, I'm <laughs> I'm the poorest famous person you'll ever meet. But <laughs> uh, you know, the the the, the Clarence Frogman Henrys and uh, 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 what you call them that did the Sea Cruise. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Oh, oh, damn, dude. Uh, I know who you're talking about. Who, who was that? Fuck. It, it'll come. Frankie Ford. Frankie, I think that's who it was. I think so. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I, I mean, there's, there's just a million and six different things that came from here that every band around the world wished that they were a part of. <laughs> you know, look, the, the, the Rolling Stones took uh, the meters under their wing mm-hmm. and uh and you know tried to share it with the world so did uh the uh, paul mccartney and wings mm-hmm. you know, there's there's all these relationships with everybody wants to be a part of that everybody wants that that soul that that backbeat it's just it's it's there oh shit and, yeah i mean i remember uh, you know i mean the grateful dead used to take out the nevels and that was where they kind of even you know i mean the dead was covering ico ico you know what i mean so it's like they right. they were trying to immerse themselves into into a culture of music i mean you know you're talking a band from san francisco who has no real roots in the south at all you know much less new right. orleans culture and musically I mean, that music is something you don't hear everywhere, you know? Oh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I, I, I wish that most of those bands were more of a household name in other places because, you know, the Nevels, the, the Meters, they've, these are people that have won Grammys. And you say that in not even you don't even have to leave the country. You go to, you know, three states over and you bring them up. They're like, what? Huh? Mm-hmm. And And it's like are you are you nuts this this is some of the greatest music in the world and to us it's the soundtrack of our youth and to these other people they never heard of it maybe don't even give two shits about it i can't tell you how many people i've i've turned on to the you know the grigri album and they were just like what the fuck is this this isn't the dr john i thought i was like dude so you need to open your fucking ears to what's going you know what some of that music was i mean it was you know it forged you know so much and even kind of going into like what you know i mean you moving into the 70s you know you had you know zebra who was influenced by zeppelin but then you know and then you know gravitating into the 80s where it started to be kind of you know started to develop into the hard rock and metal um but actually this that was a long <laughs> segue into this is that like one of the things i've done i've noticed is that you know i've talked to bands like you know like like graveyard and i've even heard interviews with sabbath where they talked about how the sound 
of the band was almost directly influenced by their geographical setting, you know, like where they were from. How much of, say, like the sound of Exhorter and other bands from that was tied to that kind of muggy, humid New Orleans? Or was it coming from something more national away from the town you know what i mean does that make sense i think we all the saying you are what you eat couldn't be more true to a musician because mm-hmm. yeah I, I can see i mean look at birmingham england uh <laughs> spit out both black sabbath and judas priest you know a small industrial town in you know in england puts out two of the greatest pioneer heavy metal bands ever and you know it 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 fits the persona of that town like you're saying it's a factory town it's dark and uh, most of the people there just they they grow up and they go work in the factory and they die Mm -hmm. and these two bands decided they weren't going to do that so they they had something to rage and rally against uh, so that definitely shaped the landscape of their sound. Consequently, mm-hmm. they, you know, you listen to especially the early Sabbath, uh, and and you put on that that rock and roll album by Judas Priest, and it's it's very different sounding, kind of more traditional rock and roll, mm-hmm. like the New Orleans sound. And Sabbath went for the real, you know, the Southern Louisiana Mississippi blues mm-hmm. uh, in, in the early days. So. We all emulate what we listen to without question in the beginning, especially. And that's where you find yourself. And and that's why bands like, I mean, look at Led Zeppelin. They they were shameless plagiarists in the beginning and, and got in trouble for, <laughs> for not crediting people like Willie Dixon. Mm-hmm. Uh, who uh, they uh, Willie Dixon ended up winning a lawsuit and they ended up crediting him on the albums for the the songs that they used that were his Mm -hmm. and uh but they also never stopped learning kind of like the beatles they would travel around the world and uh go study under ravi shankar or uh, it's just searching the far corners look searching for the the middle eastern sound or you know going to japan Mm -hmm. to just absorb any of the musical culture and world culture that they could to give them an experience to inspire them to write something different, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, you know, dipping into the culture of the music where you come from, obviously, you know, plays a part in shaping, you know, the sound and like what kind of music, you know, you're producing. And I love the fact that 28 years later, you know, the new album, kind of picks up where you left off in the sense that you know it's like i said earlier like it sounds familiar which is great but it also sounds like this is us now but one of the things i noticed too is i loved your you know the band's kind of motto right now is like thrash is back um so like what's your what's your like what's your outlook on the current state of music and where did thrash actually go I don't know because I don't listen to it. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. The, our manager came up with that thrashes back thing. We were kind of like, okay, <laughs> dude. I love I love that you're just totally on. You're like, I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when I listen to Thrash, when I'm on tour with Thrash bands or at a festival, that's when I listen to it. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, I grew up and I've got my classic albums that I love and I I don't have a hatred for it. And when I'm watching it live, I enjoy it a lot more than I think I would sitting on my back porch. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I don't know. I, I do know this much. Thrash did go away right as we were starting to develop as an artist mm-hmm. in the early 90s mm-hmm. uh we we formed in 86 and released our first demo that year and uh, every song except for one on slaughter in the vatican was was completed by 1987 and every song on that album was completed by 1988 so we had we had really been out and doing what we do in the heat of it all while it was happening we just didn't get our break mm-hmm. until uh you know 90 when was when the first album came out and it was around that time that death metal was really kind of starting to be on the rise and mm-hmm. the extreme metal fans were gravitating towards this new fresh sound and you know i, I do like some death metal but I, i'm not a giant fan kind of like you know, I like some thrash, but I'm not like a, a purist fan. So I like what I like of it and the rest of it. I'm like, OK, it is what it is. Don't have a hatred for it. Just kind of indifferent. So it was tough for us, though, trying to be a band that we felt we always felt that we could be one of the biggest bands in the world. And if you don't feel that way about your band, you're doing it something wrong and you're doing a disservice to yourself. Mm-hmm. So oh, absolutely. We, we always felt like we could be it yeah, uh, an arena quality band uh putting on that kind of live show speaking to that wide of an audience uh now maybe having an album called slaughter in the vatican and songs like anal lust probably didn't help us <laughs> in our in our quest but uh, <laughs> truth be told you know we, we today it's tame by comparison you know so oh dude uh, dude i just i just got a press release for a band called shit fucker and i'm going like i don't think that band's gonna be getting airplay anytime soon man it's like chances are you're not gonna see them on solid gold (laughs) or even a marquee you know (laughs) right I mean, because even now, like you said, even with stuff that's, ta- you know, like so much of the stuff like music that we listen to, you know, in, in uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm 46. So I don't know how old you you are, but I feel like we're I prob- just turned 50. Okay, so we're close in that generational, you know, section of listening to music. Is that like, you know, I remember when we were kids, is that, oh my God, Venom, Merciful Fate, Kingdom. It's like, oh my God, so extreme. It's dangerous. You can't listen to that. And it's like now you listen to Venom, and you're like. This sounds hysterical compared to some of the shit that's out now, you know? (laughs) And think about it. Like, before, you know, you're talking about the the rock and roll bands like Little Richard came out and people were like, oh, God, it's devil music. And then, you know, then the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Queen, they're like, you know, you play the records backwards and, you know... This message is knights and Satan's service for Kiss. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I always told people, like, you know, they used to play records backwards until Slayer and Venom came out, and then you didn't have to play them backwards anymore. The message was right there in, in your face, <laughs> forward, just as uh, 
just as brash as could be. And it was frightening. I remember when I first embraced Slayer, because mm-hmm. uh, I really heard Slayer before I heard Venom. I had heard of Venom, right. but I had never listened to them. And someone, uh, a buddy of mine from high school who's now a federal prosecutor, <laughs> he, uh, he turned he turned me on to so much stuff, this guy. And uh, he, turned, he let me borrow Show No Mercy. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it, and I went home, and I'm reading the lyric sheet, and I was scared, man. I'm like... I guess I was 14 years old going on 15 and I'm like, man, this is like, are they really saying, did he mean this? And I'm reading the antichrist die by the sword, uh, the, uh, the final command and, uh, all these dark themes that are just, you know, it's all about Satan, Satan. And, uh, <laughs> and I used to sing the words, I'd sing all the words except for the parts that were really satanic and I would not sing that part. Oh. <laughs> I was having an inner conflict with myself about, uh, you know, my, I was raised Catholic. so I was, I like, was just yeah. going to say, that's our Catholic upbringing, man. You know, exactly. Like, like, exactly. Even if we tried to fight it, like, you know, like I, like I was telling my wife one day, I was like, I haven't been a practicing Catholic, you know, since like 90. I was like, but there's always this, slight bit of Catholic guilt that you just never lose because it's like it's been instilled in you from birth you know what I mean well, it's, uh, guilty I mean uh, my wife was not raised Catholic mm-hmm. and she sees it all the time and she looks at me and she goes is that Catholic guilt again <laughs> like I <laughs> I can't shake it. I mean, it's it's ingrained in me. Oh, it totally is. You know, like you were talking about like like those album, you know, those lyrics and stuff. It's like I remember buying the first Wasp album and taking it home and, you know, reading the lyrics to Hellion. Oh, and, yeah. and, and like on the oh, back yeah. of the album, it says, you know, the gods you worship or steal at the altar of rock and roll. You kneel. And I just remember going. How dangerous that sounded. Yeah, I was like, I was like could this potentially make me go to hell <laughs> like listening to this like and you look at it today and it's like are these guys for real <laughs> yeah exactly it's like you look at it now and it's kind of like you know going to spirit halloween you know and looking at all the like, exactly you know the corny exactly. costumes and shit and you're like wow but it shows you the time that we came up in and how everything has changed but like do you kind of miss that that kind of thing where it was almost kind of not really super in your face, but like bands like Wasp and Venom and stuff who kind of spun it in a more lyrical kind of fashion to make it like kind of scary, mysterious. Do you feel like you the bands that is? do it extreme now are kind of pushing it too much? To me, back then versus now, it's kind of like the difference between when you're a kid and at Halloween, you go to a haunted house and you're scared. Mm-hmm. And then you see it when the, when the lights are on. Or you see somebody take that mask off and you're like, okay. And you realize theatrics. And, I, you know, I think that's kind of what, what really did it for me. Once I, once I realized that almost every band that claims to be, oh, these guys are definitely real, really, it always ends up being a show. It's, you know, smoke and mirrors. And, and I think for me, uh, how much further over the top can you go? Because at at the time that Merciful Fate and and Venom and Slayer were doing their thing, uh, it, it seemed like, oh my God, how much more can you do than putting, a, you know, a naked nun on a 
on an album cover, you know, like what what else can you do? Well, then fast forward, whatever that band is that comes out on stage with like the the pig heads or something. I, I, oh, I Watane. Yeah, I was okay, just gonna yeah. say like, and, and they burn the fucking animals on upside down crosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I don't know those guys. I don't know anything about them. Uh, and and I, I just remember when they came out, everybody's like, dude, it's real, it's real. And, and then I don't know for sure, but I've heard someone you know through the late night talks on the tour bus like people like yeah man they're just regular dudes it's like they just do that for shtick and it's like i don't know if that's true or not i can't verify it but that's what i heard but you know (laughs) know it's like you know that's 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 just how high you have to ramp up if if they are indeed just doing it for shtick and if they're not well okay you're selling something pretty you know hardcore there because to travel with rotting you know (laughs) Uh, <laughs> like roadkill <laughs> riding livestock it, it, it's it's pretty hardcore if you ask me but you know if you're doing that for the shock value well, well you got my respect with that as well too because that's a pretty heavy game to have to play and, and that just goes to show you how much you have to level up because there's no more playing the records backwards <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. I, re- I remember like years ago reading a uh, interview with Blackie Lawless from Wasp. I mean, he, I don't know if you remember, but he used to have this like pyrotechnic thing that he used to wear between his legs, and it looked mm-hmm. like he was pissing sparks. And he yes. said he was talking about how one time it actually went off, like like, like basically burned the fuck out of him. And he said he remembered being on the stretcher, going, "God, if I wrote better songs, I wouldn't have to be doing all this shit." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it, I, I can appreciate that because, uh, you know, who doesn't want the easy gig? <laughs> exactly, you know, but like, I don't know, like I look back on that and like you said, kind of like with Watane, like like if that's shock value and production, like that's old school and like I can tip my hat to them. You know, it's it's only when you try super hard to convince people like, oh, I'm real like I'm real you know like this is what I really believe but then you know you go home and you watch you know Modern Family and listen to Blondie you know it's like right I, right you it know changes things well, and that's really that's kind of the direction that that we always went in uh, was kind of selling that whole regular guy thing uh, you know aside from me in the early days we were young and rough and tumble and that was kind of the mystique of the band was oh these guys are lunatics but at the end of the day, most people meet us and they're like, man, they're just kind of nice guys as long as they're not too drunk. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's everybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's <laughs> the American dream. right? Exactly. <laughs> don't don't be an asshole when you're drunk. So but we literally we're still kind of selling that regular guy thing on the road. Now, we you know, when we go out and play these shows, we first thing we do when we get off stage is we go out into the crowd and start talking to people and if they want to take pictures we'll take pictures if they want us to sign something or if they just want to talk we don't care like uh, we but we've noticed that it goes a long way with people they've uh they've got an appreciation in, in this day and age especially with social media i think there's more of an interest in people wanting to get to know the real you mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, just you being on the picture of the sleeve of a CD. They want to kind of have a piece of the you that isn't 
on the stage and just the regular person. And I actually like that a lot because it, 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 I would much rather sit down and I'll sit down a lot longer and talk to somebody a lot more if they don't want to talk about the songs and the music. If they just want to talk about life, you want to talk football, you want to talk uh, – I don't want to talk politics, but uh, let's talk <laughs> food and football and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, do it over a fine – Dutch beer, uh, <laughs> yeah, or a, Bel- a Belgian beer, and I, I think that's a lot more. Um, I think it's there's a lot more merit to it than just uh, here buy my record. <laughs> no, you know, it's, and it's funny because I think that with social media, exactly what's happened is is kind of what you're saying, but. One of the things I actually do like about social media in some aspects is that it did kind of break that rock star, you know, um, mystique of sorts. But at the same time, like, I kind of do like the fact that people like, you know, Paul Stanley and, you know, you know Gene Simmons or, uh, you know, whoever, you know, uh, you know, still kind of David Lee Roth still maintain this kind of rock star thing and kind of. Sure. don't make themselves accessible but you know like for me as a kid i could never imagine being able to have a conversation with like i don't know someone from you know skid row or whatever where like to me they were just a poster on my wall and a band i admired but all of a sudden you know you can message these guys and talk to them you know yeah it was it was weird when i joined trouble because they were that to me they were a poster on the wall and then I joined the band and it's like, Oh my God. And, and believe me, there are times when I'm on stage with the band and I see Rick and Bruce walk to the front of the stage side by side doing their dual guitar harmony leads. And I'm standing there going, am I really here doing this? And then every other minute of the day when we're on tour is just, these are my friends, you know, they're kind of like big brothers to me, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's just awesome that that you get to experience that, you know, and, you know, getting to kind of live a dream, but I literally joined one of my favorite bands. So if you could sing for any other band for just like a night, it it could be any band, who would it be? Oh, wow. Um, That's a toughie, man. It really, it really, really is. I mean, that. I, I mean, do I do I go and sing for a, a band that has a deceased singer, or do I ask one of my heroes to sit on the sidelines for a minute? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, I, my probably my ultimate all-time favorite band is Black Sabbath, so I would love to do a set with Black Sabbath. How ridiculous that would be, and how much produce would be thrown at me, I don't know. Because uh, it, it wouldn't matter how good of a job I did, I'm not Ozzy, and I'll never be Ozzy. And you know, Ozzy could have one of his worst nights ever, and he goes out there and douses himself with water and jumps up and down like a frog, like he always has, and <laughs> and everyone loves it because why? Because he's fucking Ozzy. <laughs> but yeah, I would. I probably selfishly would love to do a set with Black Sabbath or a tour or an album. <laughs> Dude, hey, man, you know what? That's that's why they're called dreams, bro. You know? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but but I'm content to let them be magical heroes to me. So, but if uh, if Geese or, or Tony or both ever wanted to hang on, call me, have your people call my people. Oh, you heard it here first, man. You know, give Kyle a call. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I only got a couple more, man. By the way, I'm, man, I've really enjoyed talking to you, man. This has been really cool. This is a good interview. You've you've made it very pleasant. Oh, dude, man, I that 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 yeah. You know, then I feel honored, dude. That's awesome. The only thing missing is you know a couple of cold Dixies, man. That you know there you go. That would have completed it for me, man. <laughs> but, yep. well, so table full of crawfish. Oh man, dude, I was just in New Orleans like ah uh, god, probably about six months ago or so. Just ah, uh, uh, you brought the virus here. Huh? <laughs> I hope not, man, because I was, <laughs> dude, pretty much, you know, you, you know, it's like when you get older, you don't, you, you kind of lose that whole like party aspect. You know, it's like, I don't want to go hit all these bars late at night and stuff. So, you know, I was down in the quarter at like, you know, 11 in the morning and just ate my way down to Cater Street. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course. <laughs> just, you know, and drank my way down there. And when I was done, I was like, all right, I'm done, man. <laughs> you know, so it's like... Yeah, make the best of it while you're here, man. Well, so what is one album, in your opinion, that you feel like everyone, everyone should own? Oh, Lord. I got a million of those. And it it, it rotates day by day. Uh <sighs> Probably something that would be a little bit of everything would probably be Eye Against Eye by Bad Brains. Oh, yeah, that's one I don't hear ever, to be honest. I mean, it's 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 heavy, it's melodic, it's punk, it's got reggae life in it. It's it's a little bit of everything. Like I said, you know, the, those those guys were so dynamic. Uh, they really, really changed. Uh, the face of everything for me when I uh, when I learned who they were and and where they came from and you know the the mystique about them they they've definitely got they're one of those mystique bands you know there's like oh wow this is really really cool right yeah. and, and and different yeah they were definitely a band that wasn't you know super huge in the public eye or anything and you know I never even really listened to Bad Brains at all but yet. I I know who they are. You know, they were one of those bands. You know, well, they uh, they they were not unlike bands like <laughs> a band like Exhorter in in a lot of ways. They um, they had a lot of uh, ex- extenuating circumstances that kept them from thriving, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was self inflicted. And oh, yeah. that's a big part of the exhorter legacy a lot of it was self-inflicted well so with that being said man exhorters back man you got everything sounds fucking phenomenal it sounds punchy and you. you know i mean like it, it's got me excited you know again like i said you know some homeboys man fucking rising up from the ashes again you know and i fucking love that but with all the crazy shit that's going on like what is kind of in the future for exhorter well, at the moment, <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <thanks laughs> corona. Uh, we actually had, uh, <clears throat> we didn't have quite as busy of a year planned uh, as we as we had maybe last year with the touring and, and stuff. Uh, at, at this point, we're losing uh, Maryland Death Fest, and we were going to do a couple of dates 
kind of around that uh, while we while we were there. We were just going to mm-hmm. go out and hit you know a few regional shows around there but that's been it's it's not canceled it's been rescheduled basically maryland death fest 2020 is now maryland death fest 2021 so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna just pick up where it left off there and i'm not so sure about our uh july august dates that we had uh i know that the the stuff that we had booked for trouble in June and May uh, is kind of up in the air at this point. Mm-hmm. So there's just the whole music world is kind of waiting with bated breath and being, you know, want, waiting to be told what we're going to do. So in the meantime, uh, we're writing. We're we're writing a lot. I've uh, I've I've picked up the guitar. I'm writing like I've never written in my life. I'm putting musical pieces together that I haven't had this much excitement about mm-hmm. in over 20 years. And uh, Marzi's writing like crazy. Jason's writing like crazy. And Sasha's picked up the guitar as well, uh, where he's at in New Mexico. Uh, and he can't wait to have us send him parts so that he can put the drums to it so we're we're doing what any band with a lick of sense would do right now we're writing that that is the key right there is that you know uh, like i've been talking to some other other bands with you know, going through this whole covid thing and that's kind of the regular thing i've been hearing which is great to hear you know because if you just let it get you down and you just are sitting around waiting for it to pass it's like you're losing valuable time it's like start there, writing you know, yep, there's and... going to be. I have a feeling there's going to be an onslaught of new music that comes out in late 2021 because everyone's writing right now, and then they're going to be recording. So mm-hmm. you're going to have a flood of albums come out in 2021, 2022. So uh, the good news is, I think the market will be good because the the consumers are just as frustrated as uh as we who make the product mm-hmm. are that, that everybody's got cabin fever right now I, all i can see on social media is everybody's dying to just you get out and like like i said i'm i'm typically a uh a stay at home kind of guy mm-hmm. uh my wife's a lot more social than i am so Usually when we go out, it's because she's dragged me out. But you know, when I go out, I'm I'm, I'm happy to see my friends. But I've been joking with them, like, man, I this is so bad that even I miss y'all. <laughs> I was just telling a friend yesterday. Um, I was like, you know, I was like, I, you know, I'm like you. I'm a I'm a homebody. I'm, I'm more than happy to hang out here in my basement and you know listen to records and play my guitar and you know you know practice with my band and stuff. But you know, it, like if a show comes up and I don't want to go, I'll, and I'd be like, ah, I think I'm gonna stay in. Like that's one thing. But now that I can't do anything, it's like I want to do everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, right. It was weird. My daughter and I went to the store this morning, and and we got in the car, and I said, it feels so weird to be in the car right now. She's like, I oh, know. <laughs> <laughs> I, my wife and I have just been getting in the car and driving down the road, you know, and back, you know, just to get. To, get just to remember right. what outside the house looked like, you know, and so yeah. it's crazy, man. Re- re- remember the world before Armageddon? 
<laughs> it's almost like I, I thought I was going to see like barren wasteland when we went out. And I'm like, no, nope, there's still cars in the drive through at McDonald's. I'm like, all right, so life ain't completely dead. You know? <laughs> no, no. There's a lot more people out and about than probably should be. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to tell people never go anywhere anymore? Oh, well, you know, you know, there's the ones that there's those of us kind of like you said that are going to adhere to it because we know that the more we do it, the quicker it'll be done. And then there's the others you can't you can't tell them anything. So you just got to you just got to do your own thing and just know you're playing your part and everything. It's that Catholic yep. guilt, man. If you go out, you're going to hell, Kyle. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least all my friends will be there. Ah. I love it, man. Well, Kyle, dude, thank you so much, man. This this interview ran probably a lot longer than you were expecting, but I totally enjoy talking to you and getting to know you, man. It's been it's been been a pleasure, man. Absolutely, yeah, it was a pleasure, and it went by quickly because it was a good one. Well, I will take that. Like I said, I'm honored for that, man. Thank you so much. And look, hopefully, we'll uh, keep in touch and cross paths soon, man. When all you know, without having to wear a mask. So, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Thanks.